Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in Genesis chapter number 28. And uh, well-known theologian John Phillips said this about Jacob in Scripture. He said, Jacob is one of the most human and understandable people in the Bible. This morning we embark upon a new sermon series on Jacob's life that I've titled Jacob's Journeys, Instructions for Life from a Father of Israel. And for the next four or five messages in this series, we're going to learn much from what John Phillips said was one of the most understandable and human people in the Bible, one of the most relatable people in Scripture. We're going to find some important lessons and instructions for life from this patriarch, one of the fathers of Israel. Um, we, we, generally speaking, the patriarchs of Israel are thought of as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those three, Abraham would be the one that received the promise from God, the Abrahamic covenant, and then his miraculous son Isaac, and then Jacob. And uh, we, often in the Bible you'll see referred to the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. That is talking about the God of heaven. And that's who we're studying today, and that's the, the, the uh, character that we're starting with. And uh, our last three messages have been on the life of Jacob's dad, Isaac. And we looked at Isaac for three Sundays, and now for the next four or five, we're going to look at Jacob. I told you that Isaac only had one chapter of Scripture devoted entirely to him, and uh, that was Genesis 26. And he's, he's in some of the other ones, but there's only one chapter that's all about him. Jacob gets eight chapters, so we're going to go for about eight chapters here on Jacob, and then after that, it's Joseph really until the end of Genesis. And I don't have time to go through all review of the book of Genesis as we, as we are continuing verse by verse through this first book of the Bible, but by way of just understanding kind of where we're at in biblical history and really in Genesis, there are a few key characters that you need to know that kind of summarize uh, the first book of the Bible and really much of the Old Testament. You have Adam, who is in Adam. When we think of Adam, we have creation. Uh, we have father of the human race. We have the fall, which, which ushered sin. Adam and Eve ushered sin into this world. Then we have Noah, the redeemer of humanity in the midst of God's judgment um, after Adam and Eve had sinned. Then we have Abraham, the patriarch of Israel, whom we've studied. And uh, Israel, the reason Abraham matters is because it is from Abraham. Abraham's seed or his lineage, his family, which we now call Israel, that nation, it's through that nation that God is going to send his only begotten son, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. That's why, so like, why does it matter to study a family and a nation from 4,000 years ago? Because these are the beginning seeds of God sending his son to be our redeemer to save us from the fall that Adam and Eve, the sin that came by one man, Adam, that sin would be forgiven and fixed and paid for by one man, Jesus Christ. And so we have Abraham, then his miraculous promised son, a type of Christ, Isaac, and then where we're at today, Jacob. Now Isaac had, of course, the twins, Jacob and Esau. We saw Esau last week uh, when I preached that message, when your children break your heart. We saw Esau and some thoughts there last Sunday in Genesis 26 and 27. And, uh, and so, but really, Esau, he gets one more mention here in chapter 28, and then he's pretty much off the scene, and the next eight chapters is Jacob, his twin brother. And, and then Jacob has 12 sons which become the 12 tribes of Israel. It is how Israel is divided up. And this is then, it grows into a nation of millions of people that is to this day still living. And they are the, the Jewish people. And we call them Israel because of the man we're going to start studying today. We're not gonna get to this today. We'll get to this in a few weeks. But Jacob is gonna have a wrestling match with God and God is going to change his name to Israel. And that is the, where the nation of Israel 
Israel, what it's named after, to this day, modern day, it comes from the man that we are going to be studying. So you can see really where we're at. Of the 12 sons, the youngest, Joseph, is the one that really gets the spotlight for the rest of Genesis after we get done with Jacob. So just kind of wrapping our heads around the book, that really, those, those key characters really kind of divide and summarize the entire book. And so if you're familiar with those six characters, which you will be when we're done with these series, you have a good handle on the story told over the 50 chapters of Genesis, and really much of the Old Testament um, revolves around these, these characters that you see here. And so that's where we're going to, we find ourselves, chapter 28, and the next 22 chapters of Genesis really key in on two men, Jacob and Jacob's youngest son, Joseph, who in our text today is not yet born. Jacob is not yet married in our text today. So that's where we're at this morning. So I said, instructions for life from a father or a patriarch of Israel. This morning's lesson from Jacob that we're going to see is simply this. We learn from Jacob that it is vital that we find and follow God. That's this morning's message. And we're going to look at a couple of things in his life, but that we find and follow God. We're going to see Jacob's departure from his family, and then we're going to see his dream that is going to change everything. And, uh, and, and we're going to see that, just again, to remember where we're at as we're about to jump into the text, remember where we're at. So last week, Jacob has deceived his dad. He has stolen from his brother. He has stolen the blessing that that his dad had planned to give to Esau. He lied to him. You remember his mom helped him. She was his co-conspirator and uh, brought him food. Jacob gets the blessing from his dad. Remember Esau's response last week when Jacob got the blessing? Esau comes back, hey, dad, I got you your steak dinner. What do you mean? I'm full. I already ate the steak dinner you gave me. I didn't bring you anything. Well, then who did? Oh, my little brother, why I oughta, and, and some of you have been there with younger siblings or older siblings maybe, and why, that, that, that younger brother, how could he? And so that's where we find ourselves, and you recall Esau had made a statement. He said, my dad's about to die, I'm going to let him die, and then I'm going to kill Jacob. Like not, a, I don't think it was an idle threat based on the response of Rebecca. He was so angry, he was ready to murder his brother. And Rebecca says, Jacob, we got to get you out of here. She goes and tells her husband. Isaac says, we got to get Jacob out of here. We need to get, uh, Esau says he's going to kill him. Let's send him to my dad's house. Let's send him to, to my family's house. Let's send, them, let's send him away um, to my, my people, to my homeland. Let's send him out. That is where we find ourselves in Genesis 28. Now, follow along with me, if you will. We're going to study this chapter today, Genesis 28. And, and for those that are visiting, every church is different. Every pastor's personality and communication style and approach to Scripture can vary, and and God can use all different ones. I make no apology that when I preach, we're going—I'm not just going to give you one line from Scripture or one verse and then kind of share my thoughts. We're going to walk through a passage and really try to understand it, and then as we leave, know how to apply some things that will change our lives from it. So I always encourage you to follow along in the Bible. You're going to get more out of it if you see it for yourselves. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. If you have an app on your phone or tablet, I'll be reading from the King James Version of the Bible this morning. I'd encourage you to follow along with me and see it for yourself. Genesis chapter number 28, that's where we're at. Let's jump in. And Isaac called Jacob, and blessed him, and charged him, and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Esau's already done that, broken his parents' heart. Arise, go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father. Go to grandpa's house. Take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. Go find someone that believes like us, that worships the same God that we do. Go marry a good girl, son. And God Almighty bless thee, and make thee fruitful, and multiply thee, that thou mayest be a multitude of people, and give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee and to thy seed with thee, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which God gave unto Abraham. And Isaac sent away Jacob, and he went to Badanaram unto Laban, son of Bethuel the Syria, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother. What do we see here in the first portion of this chapter? We see Jacob's departure. Jacob's leaving home for the first time. When you read the Bible, try not just to read words on a page. Try to put yourself into the story. It's why I start many of my messages like I did today, giving context of where we're at, knowing who we're talking about, how they fit into the story of that book, how they fit into the story, the big picture story of God's redemption plan. Why? Because then we understand it better. 
put yourself into the context. I've used this illustration before. If I was walking and saw a piece of paper and it was a love note and I picked it up and it said, I love you so much. You're the, you're the most important person in my life. You mean the world to me. I couldn't imagine life without you. If I read it, I would think, oh, that's cool. That's nice. Somebody feels that way about somebody. And I would throw it away. But if my wife gave me that and it said, dear Ryan, all the same things, love Tiffany, it means a whole lot more because I understand the context of the words. I understand who wrote it, who she was writing to, he, who they were writing to. It changes everything. And that is true of scripture. So when we read these words in just a minute, we, we see Jacob's departure and, and we see um, Jacob leaving home for the first time. First time he's away from mom and dad. And I want to, and we're going to get to, he's going to end up having a dream, but I want to point out two things here by way of introduction that we see in Isaac's instructions to his son as Jacob is leaving home. And these two things, parents, are of utmost importance for you and for me as we train the eternal souls that God entrusts to our care. Do you see Isaac's two areas of focus as he sends Jacob away from home for the first time? I see it here in verses 1 through 5, his areas of focus, you could summarize them as social and spiritual. He gives instructions regarding a wife, and then he gives instructions regarding worship. He says, son, I want you to make sure you marry the right person, and I want you to make sure you worship the right God. And may I just stop parenthetically this morning and say this morning to those of us that have children, parents, welcome back. Abby and Lane, you've been at college for a couple of weeks, came back home to visit their home church. Glad you're here, because we're talking about parents guiding their children. Welcome back. And, uh, and, and may I just stop and say to us parents, there are not many areas that it's more important that we guide our children than socially, their closest relationships as friends, dating, marriage, and spiritually, who they worship and how they worship, what they believe. Decisions in these two areas of life will affect a man's entire life and eternity. There are not many more important areas to instruct, to teach, to guide, to shape your children's lives than what Isaac did here, the area of marriage and the area of spirituality, of worship, of his belief in God. And I just want to stop and say, I don't know if somebody in here needs this challenge or this reminder. If you're a parent, don't be afraid to parent. You're the parent. It is your God-given responsibility to guide your children, know who their friends are. Know what's happening on their devices. Know know who they're dating. Talk to them about those things. Guide them through those things. Teach them principles. Start young if you can. And if if you're too late on that, you haven't started young, continue to pray and work and guide. And as they get older, you have to have their heart if you're going to have influence, so you're working on that while they're young. But don't be afraid. Uh, First day of school this week at Newport Christian School. I love our school. I love our teachers. I love the family in our school, the families in our school. But that doesn't mean I don't want to know who my children are playing with and what they're doing and what they're talking about. And and they came home from school. Who did you play with at recess? Oh, who are you sitting by? Oh, who are your closest friends in your class? And that's fourth grade and sixth grade. And I've been doing that since kindergarten and first grade. And now we have two in college and one a senior in high school. Why? Because there aren't many things more important than social and spiritual. We often, it seems like, it seems like in our culture, we often check out as parents in the most important season of their lives. Well, they're high school now, they're a teenager now, they got their driver's license now, they got a job now, and there should be some additional liberties and freedoms and responsibilities. That's, that's the process of life. You're not going to treat, a hopefully, an 18-year-old the way you're going to treat a four-year-old, but don't check out parents of teens. Don't check out parents of college students. This right here, you know who he's talking to when he's telling them, marry the right person and worship the right God? He's talking to a son in his 30s. Parents, don't check out just be, well, they graduated, our job is done. No, you're praying every day, you're talking every day. They have to let you guide. They, you, hopefully you have a relationship where they want to ask you and be involved. And I, I, my daughter's been in college for a week, and on Tuesday or Wednesday, we were, we were FaceTiming and I, and this, this, a week for this new school year. And I said, any guys show any interest? Anybody, any guys talking to you, get asked to a coffee date, anything at all? Why? I'm, I'm constantly want to know what's happening. My daughter's 3,000 miles away. Now, I can only have as much influence as she allows. I get that. But it doesn't mean that I'm not praying, that I'm not talking, that I'm not involved. And I'm not saying we're doing it perfectly, but I'm challenging all of us. Isaac gives us a great example here. He gives them instruction socially, spiritually, They're his wife, his worship. Our, our children, parents should not only receive scriptural training on Sunday morning in kids' classes or Wednesday night in Kids Point. 
Shameless plug, Kids Point starts this Wednesday night. Have your kids here at 6.30. Kicking off our community groups, so sign up on the enrollment tables out in the lobby. Let me just say, and this isn't my message, but I just want to say, parents, how are we doing in guiding our children socially and spiritually? Teaching, letting them ask questions, seeing what's going on in their hearts, encouraging good behavior and correcting bad behavior and teaching biblical principles. Our job is not done just because they've graduated or they're in high school or they have a job or they're in college. Stay involved, keep parenting, keep loving, keep guiding. Let's continue the second half of our message. So we see Jacob's departure. And then skip down five verses. It gives a little parentheses where Esau thinks he's going to get back on his dad's good side by marrying somebody in the family from Ishmael's side. Didn't realize that's the wrong side of the family. That's verses five through nine. Let's look at, or verses six through nine. Let's look at verse number 10. We see in verse number 10, Jacob's dream. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took out of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. Again, put yourself in Jacob's shoes. No record in scripture that Jacob left with servants, with animals, with any friends. From everything we can see, Jacob is alone. He's by himself, he's hot. He's tired. From the best we can tell, it looks like he probably traveled about 40 miles by foot this day. You do the math, 15-minute miles, that's 10 hours of walking without stopping. Why was he going so far? He's scared to death. He's running from his brother who who has threatened to murder him. So think about the state Jacob is in right now. He's lonely. He's away from home for the first time. He's away from mom and dad. He's looking over his shoulder. Is Esau coming? Did he see where I went? Do I need to cover my tracks? I've got to kind of zigzag. He gets to a place, and it's the first time he's hot, he's sticky, he's dirty, he's sweaty. Probably there have been some tears. There's probably been that pit in the stomach. What's going to happen? Where's this going to lead? Am I ever going to see my parents again? What's going on in my life? Why did I steal that blessing? I don't know all the things going through his mind, but probably some things like that. And the Bible says he's tired enough that he pulls up a stone and lays his head on it. That's his pillow. He lays down on the hard ground with a rock, uh, finds a flat stone, puts his head on it, and he starts to go to sleep. I think we have a map here that'll show you a little bit of Jacob's journeys here. It starts on the bottom left, Beersheba, that's what we just read. He ends up, the second arrow up, it says uh, Luz or Bethel, is where we're at right now, where he ends up with a dream. So you can see he's going to go all the way up to Haran. We read that. It's about a 500-mile journey, and all the way back. So Jacob's journeys over the next eight chapters are going to cover about a thousand miles of journeying that Jacob's going to be doing. The first 40 or so um, we see here from uh, from Beersheba, where he leaves, into Bethel. He's going to name that in a minute. So, what do we see about his dream? I want you to see about his dream. It says in verse 12, some of you have heard of this before, you're familiar with this story, verse 12, and he dreamed. And behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. They're going up and down from heaven to earth in his dream. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest. To thee will I give it and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. And thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest and will bring thee again into this land for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. Does that sound familiar, that prayer you see there? Sounds familiar? I'm the God of Abraham and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your seed. And in your seed, your children, your family, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Anyone heard that before? That's the Abrahamic covenant. That's the promise God had made to Abraham that there would be a nation of Israel. And when God made that promise to Abraham, he had no kids. And he was really old. And there was physically impossible for him to have a big family. And God said, I'm going to make a great nation of you. And do you remember a few weeks ago, we preached on God's promises to another generation, raising up another generation to embrace God's promises. He gave that promise again to Jacob's dad, Isaac. And he says here, I'm the God of Abraham and I'm the God of Isaac. You know who he wasn't the God of yet? He wasn't the God of Jacob yet. 
Jacob had grown up around the things of God, but God was not his God yet. He had heard about God. He had heard the Bible, but he hadn't chosen God for himself. And so he's here. He's just deceived his dad. The last thing he did was deceive his dad. He's just betrayed his brother. He's running from home. He's probably crying. He's tired. He's sweaty. He lays down. He goes to sleep. He's laying his head on a flat rock pillow, and he looks In his dream, he sees there's a ladder and angels are going up and down from heaven, and the Lord is there. And what happens? God gives him a promise. Jacob's dream was a promise-filled dream. It was a dream filled with promises from God. He he, He confirms the Abrahamic covenant, which had been given to Isaac. Now it's given to Jacob, and he gets the promise for himself. It's the promise-filled dream. Often, I told you, you'll see that God in the Old Testament is called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is not that yet. This passage that we're reading, this dream and the actions afterwards is where he becomes the God of Jacob. He becomes Jacob's personal God. What were God's promises to Isaac in this dream? I see in verse 13, God gave him a promise of his person. He said in verse 13, I am the Lord God of Abraham. We just sang it. I'm calling on the God of Jacob. You are the same God. God is saying, the God you heard about that, that, that I worked in your grandpa's life and I worked in your dad's life, the God that miraculously gave your dad to your, your grandma and grandpa, Abraham and Sarah, I am that God, a promise of his person. It's the same God that your parents and your grandparents have followed. It was not only that, but it was a promise for his posterity. He said, thy seed shall be as the dust. Right now he's unmarried. There are no children. You could fit the entire nation of Israel, which wasn't called the nation of Israel in this passage, because he had not yet had his name changed, but if you would have called, you could have fit them all probably in your living room. That was the nation of Israel in this time. And he says, I'm making a promise for your posterity, your family. I'm going to bless you richly. I'm going to give you many kids. Then he gives them a promise of his pardon. Do you see it at the end of verse number 14? In thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. What is that promise? What is he saying? From your family, Jesus is coming. I am, I am going to make a way to redeem my people. All nations are going to be blessed because of your family. Why are we blessed? Because of the lineage of Israel, because Jesus came from that lineage. You see Christ all through the Old Testament. Don't get it mixed up. The Old Testament and New Testament are not two separate, separate books. It's not, you have the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. You have Jesus in the New Testament and not in the Old Testament. Jesus is all through the Old Testament in pictures, in Christophanies, in types in prophecies. Here, he's promising pardon, redemption coming. Also a promise of his presence. He said in verse 15, I am with thee. A promise of his protection, I will keep thee. And a promise of his plan, I will bring thee again. I want you to remember those words, that promises in the dream, because they're going to matter a lot in just a couple of verses. Not only was it a promise-filled dream, but I see here it was an eye-opening dream. Would you read verse number 16 aloud with me? Genesis 28. Verse number 16, let's read it together. Ready? Begin. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful, that word could also be translated like amazing or just just awe-inspiring. How dreadful, we we often think of dreadful as like, oh, that, that lady's dress was dreadful or whatever. Like we think of it that way. This is just, just full of, of, of amazement and wonder and how dreadful, how sometimes they'll use the word in the Old Testament, terrible, and we, we kind of have a really negative, it's not always a negative, he's a great and terrible God. It just means he's, he's awe-inspiring is, is how we would use that more today in our vernacular. He says, how dreadful is this place? Look what it says. This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. It said there, he awaked out of his sleep and he said, surely the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. And he was afraid. And, and I do think there was, when we, again, we, we say afraid, the Bible often talks about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's not necessarily a fear as in I'm running and hiding. It's a reverence. It's an awe. It's an amazement. Wow. What did I just see? I can't believe that. What's this going to do in my life? That's, that's the afraid it's talking about there. It was, it was eye-opening, heart-changing, life-impacting. 
what he had just seen. Now the God of Abraham and Isaac, he wakes up and says, sure, I'm in the middle of nowhere by myself, hot and sweaty, smelly, sticky, dirty. And surely the Lord is in this place and I didn't even know it. I wasn't close to him like that. I didn't realize what God was doing in my life. I didn't know what was happening. How, how amazing. This is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. This is where God met me. And, and it was an eye-opening dream. He wakes up and his eyes have been opened to who God really is. He understands God in his life in a way he never had before. Again, to this point in Jacob's life in Scripture, we see no evidence of a personal relationship with God. Uh, we never see him having a personal encounter with God before. God was for his dad and his grandpa, but his eyes are open. God has made himself real. God is here, and I didn't even know it. And what's going to happen from this eye-opening dream? These words of God, God speaking to him in this dream, have changed Jacob's view. They've changed Jacob's direction in life. They've changed his, his complete understanding. In this dream, he learned there's a place called heaven. There's something beyond this life. He learned that God is the way. We're going to see it there. The only way to heaven. We're going to see it in a minute. There's an importance and an urgency to the things of God in his life that had not been there before. Not long before, he had been focused on deceiving his family, on himself, on his gain, on his brother. But God has arrested his attention, and God has opened his eyes. And may I ask you, are you here this morning? And God is trying to get your attention. He's trying to, his word is trying to open your eyes and your heart for you to say, I've never had this relationship before, but now this is, this surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. And, and Jacob is a different man. We're going to see it. He's a different man. Not only was it an eye-opening dream, but what that lead to, it led to, it was a life-changing dream. An, an, an awareness, an acknowledgement, an understanding of who God is, if it doesn't lead to life change, is of no value. The Bible says, show me your faith by your works. Now, don't get it, don't get it twisted if, you, if you've not been here before. I am not a work salvation preacher. I do not believe that you have to do good works to get to heaven. I do not believe you have to do good works to earn God's love. I believe that if you have truly experienced God's love, you will want to do good works from his love, not for his love. And this is what happens. His personal encounter with God changes, it changes his life. Look what it does right, right away, it says in verse 18, and Jacob rose up when, church? Jacob rose up when? Early. How many of you are early risers? You're early risers? Joe, I think that's a no. Joe, he just laughed over there. How many of you are not morning people by nature? You're not. About half of our teachers are raising their hands. That's not a good thing, ladies. You're, you're, you're working with our kids every morning at 8. You must get up early and get some coffee or something. I'm not sure what you have to do there. How many of you are night owls? How many of you are neither? You want to sleep in late and go to bed early? Let me see. I don't know what those are called. I'm not sure what that's called. Lazy, I think that's what that's called. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Verse 18, it says, and Jacob rose up early. What do I see here? He responded immediately. To what he had seen, to the words of God in his life, he acted immediately. May I say this this morning? Procrastination is one of the greatest enemies of spiritual growth. There's always, well, I'm going to here. You know what? We're really going to get, you know what? I, I'm going to give my life to Christ there, or maybe I haven't given my life to Christ, but I'm really going to get plugged in. Once we get through this, I've, I'm in college right now, and I, I got to get a, maybe once I get married, you know what? We're getting married. We got to have some fun. Maybe once we have kids, you know what? We're really busy with the kids. When they get to school, you know what? It's crazy at school. And guess what? There's always another reason why we can't give God everything we have. I got to get this thing. I got to work three jobs right now, get my student loan debt paid off, get a house. It's crazy in Orange County. It's crazy in 2023. I gotta, and we always have, I'm going to serve him tomorrow. I'm going to get serious about him in that next season. I'm going to accept him later. Later is an enemy of spiritual growth. Procrastination is one of the greatest enemies of spiritual growth. I'll get to that tomorrow. I'll trust Christ later. What, how did this dream change Jacob's life? I see in verse number 19, it led him to a recognition of God. So he gets up early in the morning in verse 18. And he took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. Verse 19, and he called the name of that place Bethel. 
Beth means house. If you ever go to Israel today, you'll see things. Anytime you see the word Beth, it means house. El would refer to Elohim, God. Beth El, house of God. He says, and by the way, the name it had been Luz or Luz, L-U-Z. Luz or Luz means separated. Bethel means house of God. What do we see? The man who had been separated from God was now brought nigh. The one who had been afar off is now close to God. This is the place, Bethel, but the name of that city was called Luz at the first. It led him to a recognition of God. This is God's house. This is where I met God. This is where God's presence was in my life. Jacob, who had been separated from God by sin and wicked works, is now brought into the house or the family of God. I am here, and I'm going to set up a a, a stone, a pillar of stones. I'm going to set this up as a remembrance. This is where I met God for the first time. It was a life-changing dream because it led him to a recognition of God. I recognize he is the God of heaven. And not only is he the God of heaven and of earth, not only is he the God of the universe, he is my God. A recognition of God, number two, it led him, it led him to worship God. You see it in verse 18, he poured oil. He took his pillow, which was a stone, set it up for a pillar and poured oil. What is that? That's an act of worship. It led him, verse 20, to accept God. Look at verse number 20 please. Verse number 20, it says, and Jacob vowed a vow, saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. At first glance reading that, it seems like God is making a deal. I'm sorry, Jacob is making a deal with God. Okay, God, here are my terms. If you'll do And he says, basically, if you'll provide for me, if you'll give me your presence, if you'll give me your protection, if you'll lead me back to my family where I get to go back home someday, then you'll be my God. And at first reading, that seems to be that God is setting up a deal. The only problem is we see from his actions here, and then as you study it a little bit deeper, I I, I firmly believe that is not what happened here at all. You see, he was basically saying, well, if God's going to do this, and if God's going to do that, and if God's going to do that, then I'm going to do this. I think you could easily replace that word if with since. Because what happened is God has already made the promise of everything he's asked for. Everything he's saying. See it in verse 18? If God, Jacob said, if God will be with me, what did God tell him in verse 15? I am with thee. And if God will keep me, what does he say? In verse 15, I will keep thee. And if he'll give me bread, and what does he say? I'm going to take care of you. I'm not going to leave you or or your your family. And raiment to put on. He's going to provide for me provision, protection, presence. God has already promised all of this. And so as you study it, it is much more the sense. It's not a negotiation. It's much more what Jacob's saying here is a term of assurance. Since God has promised, he's going to be with me. Since he's, we might say it like this, well, if I've got the time and I've got the money and I've, well, you know what? Yeah, let's go. We might say it like that. We'll kind of go through these things in our minds. Should I do this? Well, if this is true and that's true and that's true, why wouldn't I? That I believe is what you see here with Jacob. And I believe it, one, from studying the the language of it. I believe it, two, just looking at the actions of it. He's pouring oil out. We're going to see something else in verse 22. His life is changed. He's different, and he's saying, so if God promised me that, if he promised protection and provision, why wouldn't I follow him? It led led him to accept God. It was not a conditional negotiation. It It was a statement of assurance. The if was not a question. God has already promised. It could have been replaced with since. Since God promised me this and this and this, then I'm going to make him my God. If that's true, see it in verse number 21, the end of it, then shall the Lord be my God. If God is going to be with me, and if God is going to do that, and if God showed up to me here, and if God's going to take care of me, then here's the place where I say, he's going to be my God. Have you ever made a decision? Well, if this is true, and if that's true, then I'm going to do those things. If God's made these promises to me, then why wouldn't I make him my God? Some of you might remember a couple of years ago, a group from our church, we went on a hike to a place called the Bridge to Nowhere. It's here in Southern California, and we went with a group to go bungee jumping together. Anybody here been bungee jumping? Let me just see. Some bungee. No, only us crazy people. All right, nobody else. Tiffany, my wife, agreed to go on the hike, but was not, would not even consider jumping off the bridge. 
She's not a daredevil. She's not an adrenaline junkie by any stretch of the imagination. But she went, she was willing to go on the hike for a little fun. And our three oldest teens had said they were for sure going to jump. I was about 50-50. If I was going to jump, I was going to wait till I got there and saw it and, uh, and make my decision then. And Tiffany, for a couple weeks leading up to it, was like, no. The kids were like, come on, mom. You got to jump with us. Got, just be glad I'm going hiking with you, all right? Don't, don't bring it up again. If you keep bugging me, I'm not going at all. And so I kind of left it alone, and I had tried a couple of times just messing with her, like, what would it take? We got up that morning about five in the morning, and uh, I said to her, as we got in the car, and she's one of those, um, are you a morning person? I'm not, is that, you are? Okay. Um, I'm trying not to get in trouble here. And, and she got in the car, and, and she's getting in, and she's getting everything, make sure everything's taken care of. And I get in the car, and I look at her. She had been asking for a couple of years to get the exterior of our house painted. And I told her, well, unless you or I know how to paint the exterior of a house, that's not happening because I don't have the money for that right now, so we're not doing that. And I like this ugly yellow color anyway, so we're going to leave it like that. It's amazing what you like when you're the one paying the bill, right? And so I said, she got in the car, and I don't know why, but five in the morning, I'm hyped. I get hyped on these things. I was super excited, adventure day with a bunch of people. And I said, I said, all right, hey, babe, if you jump, I'll paint your house for you. I'll get your house painted. She said, Ryan, stop. I told you I'm not going. Leave me alone. Let me drink my coffee. I love you very much. Let's pray to the Lord right now. And God is good. She said all those nice things. You're a great husband. She said, stop. Just, I'm, I'm hiking. Leave me alone. Don't try to pressure me. I'm not jumping off a bridge. You guys are dumb to jump off a bridge. I have no desire to jump off a bridge. I don't know why you're jumping off a bridge. I'm just going to watch you guys. I'll take pictures. I'll do all of those things. And I only said that that morning that I would get our house, paint, our house painted because I knew there was 0% chance. I've been married to her at that time for 21 years. I knew there was 0% chance of her ever jumping off of a bridge. So it was, I could have promised her a million dollars. I wouldn't have had to pay whatever I promised. It didn't matter because there was no chance I was going to have to pay up on that. We began our several-hour hike to the bridge with the group, and our guides were talking about all the safety protocols, what to expect. They were reassuring all of us. There was nothing to worry about. There were a couple on our group that had told us they weren't jumping. I was kept trying to say, like, what would it take? What do you need? I love to provoke people to do things they don't want to do. And, and uh, I'm telling the safety guy, I think Caleb Powers was one. I don't think he ended up jumping, and he was one I was trying to get him to convince to jump. And there was a couple other people. I think Mr. B wasn't going to jump, and then he ended up. And so I was, like, in my convincing mode, even at this point, no knew it, I wasn't 100% sure I was going to jump. I was going to wait and see it for myself. But I was trying to get every, and so the safety guides, I'm like, hey, is it safe? And he's like, we have a perfect safety record for decades. Have you, have you ever had an accident? We're the only licensed bungee jump company in California. You can, you don't have to worry about it. We have a perfect safety record. We do this every week. There's nothing. And he's talking to all these people. And I've forgotten, I'm not even thinking about Tiffany, but she's hearing all this as I'm trying to get other people convinced to jump off a bridge with me. And it goes back to when your, your, your mom used to say, if you, your friend jumped off a bridge, would you do it with them? And, and I was trying to get them to do that with me. And so we get, we get up there to the bridge, and I'm kind of standing off the side. They're going through all the training stuff, and I'm, I'm looking over, and I'm thinking, and I'm like, do I, I want to do this. I want to have the memory that I did it. I also want to live, and I don't know what I want to do here. So I'm thinking, and, and they had said, if you're jumping, get in line, go get your safety gear, get your harness on, get your helmet on. And I'm sitting there thinking, and I'm talking, and we're having fun, and I've kind of decided, yeah, I think I'm going to jump, and, 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 and I'm thinking about all these things. And when I looked in the line for the safety gear, who did I see with a helmet on? I was like, what? And I told Ashley and Titus or somebody, I was like, is mom going to jump? They're like, I don't know. I was like, don't go near her. Don't talk to her. Like, if she's going to do it, let her do it. Like, I had forgotten about the house painting thing at this point. I was just like, my wife's going to jump off a bridge? This is so cool. And, and I was like, don't go talk to her. Don't, like, say, because she's probably nervous about it. So you say the wrong thing, she might get cold feet. Let's just leave her alone, act like we don't see her, and then we'll just video when she goes to jump. And, and I'm sit, standing there, and, and again, I had forgotten about the painting of the house thing. I was just like shocked that my wife was there. How did this happen? What changed her mind? What led her to the decision to do something she never would have done? In just a minute, I want to show you the 35-second video, and I want you to listen carefully to the last five seconds or so to hear the thing that completely changed her decision and her actions and led her to something she was sure she would never do. Let's go ahead and play that. Yeah, Mom! No way. No way. She's literally the coolest person. Four, three, two, one. 
So at the end there, did you hear it? I'm getting my house painted. At that point, I was looking back in the contract to see the fine print. How do I get out of this? What did I get myself into? Who wants to go bungee jumping with us next week? We're going to go. Anybody want to? A few of you, all right. Wanna, wanna, I'm not going, but, and I'm not painting anyone's house either. What happened? What changed her thinking? I imagine her thought process, there was something about some of the promises she had heard that day that changed her thinking. And I believe her thought process went something like this. If, well, if the guides are promising me it's safe, and if there's safety equipment here, and if thousands of other people have done it, and most importantly, if Ryan is a pastor and he can't lie to me or else I'll tell the church. (laughs) And so if Ryan will get my house painted, I can conquer my fear and do something I never imagined myself doing. Her, her statement there wasn't, if I get my house painted, then I'll jump. No, it was, if that promise is true, then I'll take that action. I'll take that leap of faith. And that is what Jacob said here. If God's promises are true, that he'll be with me, and he'll be my God, and he'll guide me, and he'll protect me, and he'll provide for me, and I can count on his presence. If those things are true, which God has already said they are, then I will make God my God. She, she, Tiffany wasn't waiting for the house to be done. She was acting in faith on the promise. The same is true of Jacob. He was acting here in faith on the promises of God. And by the way, God has made all the same promises to you and to me. He has promised us his presence. He has promised us his pardon. He has promised us his protection. He has promised us his provision. In the New Testament, he's made all those same promises. So if God will save you, and if God will forgive your sins, and if God will take you to heaven when you die, And if God will guide you in the ways that you should go, what are you waiting for? Why won't you say yes to make him your God? The Lord, he is my God. It was a life-changing promise because it led him to accept God for himself. What promises need to change your life today? I ask you this morning, if God has promised you all this, why wouldn't you make him your God? What are you waiting for? When will you say yes to God? And that can be for the unbeliever, and by the way, that can be for the believer too. We accept the promise of salvation, but then we live in our own strength. If God has given you all of his promises, why isn't that salvation changing the way that you live? I was talking to someone that I I, I care for and love dearly, wonderful person, and she said, she made a statement I'm I'm considering these things, but one of the things is I watch Christians who say they're Christians, and then I see the way they live. And it makes me wonder, well, if that's what being a Christian is, is that what what I should do? Hey, she's she's not wrong. Christians, it's supposed to change us. The promises of God are supposed to change the way that we live. It was a life-changing dream. It led him to accept God, and then lastly, it led him to follow God. Do you see verse number 22? Verse number 22, the Bible says, And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. Look at this. This is an interesting phrase, because if you just read the Bible, you just kind of read it and you keep going. And of all that thou shalt give me, again, this is why I believe this was not a negotiation that like decades later he's going to accept God. I believe this was, he did this because look what he says. Of all that thou shalt give me, everything I'm going to get from this day forward, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. What is Jacob saying here? From here on out, I'm going to tithe of everything I get. Now, that might not seem like a big deal for some of you. You've been tithing of what God's given you for decades. Others of you, you've not yet trusted God in that way to give back a 10% of what God entrusts with you with. For those that you've been doing this for a long time, that might not seem like that big of a deal. But let's think about who just made that statement. The guy that was literally all about how can I get more for myself. I don't care who I hurt. I don't care if I hurt my dad. I don't care if I hurt my brother. I don't care if I have to leave my family. I don't care if I don't talk to my brother for decades. As long as it makes my life better. Who was Jacob to this point in in, in big ways? He was all about how can I get more for myself? He was a pretty selfish dude. And what did God in him do? God led him to say, you know what? I'm following God, I'm worshiping God, and I've accepted God, and that's going to make me a selfish deceiver. It's going to make me a generous, honest man of integrity. That's the power of the gospel. 
God in us, church, should change everything about us. A man that had previously been all about how much he could get is now promising to tithe off of everything he gets. Kind of a weird dream, right? Kind of weird that a dream of a ladder, some would say it's like a staircase, kind of like a ziggurat that you would climb up. It doesn't really matter what it is, whether it was steps or rungs on a ladder, whatever, whatever it was. Kind of a weird dream that would change his life, right? Like he went to bed in the wilderness, had a dream of a ladder or stairs going up to heaven, angels coming down, up and down, God standing at the top. Kind of weird that that would change his life, that that dream would be that. But I want you to hear something interesting as we close. Do you want to know what the ladder represented? I'm not going to have you turn there. You can if you want. I'll put the verses on the screen. In John chapter number one in the New Testament, the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, in John one, he's calling different disciples, Andrew and Peter and different disciples. And and he comes and there's going to be a disciple that's a little bit of a smart aleck that he's going to start talking to. And in John chapter number one, the Bible says, Philip findeth Nathanael. Nathanael's the smart aleck. And he saith unto him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He comes, Philip comes to Nathanael and says, we found Messiah. We found the one that was prophesied in the Old Testament. We found the Savior. And look what Nathanael says. Of Nazareth? Joseph? The carpenter's son? What does he say? Can any, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? What are you talking about? I don't know where the Savior's coming from, but I know he ain't coming from Nazareth. That's what Nathaniel just said. You, you, you guys, I don't know. I, I, want, I want a Savior just as bad as you guys do, but that's not him. Look what he says. Philip says, come and see. By the way, that's a great thing to say to people that you're trying to witness to. Hey, come and see. Join me in church. Come see what God has to say in his word. Come and see what, how God changes lives. Come and see how God takes people from all different backgrounds and upbringings and countries of origin and, and career paths and, and socioeconomic uh, levels and different things, and he brings them together as a beautiful family. Come and see what the gospel can do. And he says, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him. They've not yet met. And he saith of him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. So he gives a really good compliment to Nathaniel. He doesn't know that Jesus knows. Nathaniel has just basically completely roasted Jesus and his family in his hometown. And then he says, next verse, he says, Nathaniel saith unto him, where do I know you from? Jesus answered and said unto him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. He said, before, before Philip told you to come see me, I knew where you were. And he's sitting there thinking like, how does this guy know me? What? There is something different about him. He, he knew where I was, and he knew who I was, and he, he knows where I'm from, and he knows about me. He says, Nathaniel answered and saith unto him, he had a big change of heart, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. He went from nothing good can come out of Nazareth to, I believe, I've seen something that changed my life. Next verse. Jesus answered and said unto him, because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou, thou shalt see. That's all it took? Just because I, I, I knew you were under a fig tree, and I knew who you were, that's all it took. You're going to be, if that, if that impressed you, you're going to be seeing some amazing things. You're going to see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, verily, verily, I say unto you, hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending. Upon who? Upon who? What is he saying? They all knew the Old Testament. They, they believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They didn't know Messiah had come. What is he saying? He's saying, remember Jacob's dream? Angels ascending and descending upon who? He didn't say upon a ladder. He didn't say upon a stairway. What is he saying? I am the way to heaven. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus in the New Testament points back to this dream and he says, there's only one way for man to get to heaven. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He said, you're gonna see, you're gonna see angels doing things. You're gonna see spiritual works. You're gonna see all kinds of stuff happening. You're gonna be walking with me and you're gonna see God do things you've never seen. And it's not because of the angels and it's not because of the latter and it's not because of Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. It's because of who the the latter represented, which was me, the Son of Man, the Son of God, Jesus the Messiah. Right here in Jacob's ladder, we see a beautiful picture of the gospel. The ladder to heaven was none other than Jesus Christ himself that Jacob had a dream of, and it changed his life when he learned that Jesus was the only way to heaven.
Jesus is the one that bridges the gap between us and God. So much to learn from Jacob's dream. Isn't it true that we're all Jacob's? We're all a little selfish by nature. We've all broken some relationships. We all have some regrets from our past that we might have at some point been running from. We're all Jacob's, aren't we? And what do we need? We need a personal encounter with Jacob's ladder, which is none other than Jesus Christ. He's the one that changes everything. That dream was eye-opening. He realized who God was. He realized what heaven was. It was life-changing. And what do we learn from this patriarch, this father of Israel? We learn that it is vital and imperative that we find and follow God. When we truly, like Jacob, understand who God is, it should open our eyes. It should lead us to accept God and his plan. If we're not saved, it should lead us to salvation. If we are saved, it should lead us to sanctification. God in us should change everything about us. For Jacob, immediately, he's now a man of worship. Immediately, he's now a man of generosity. Immediately, like immediately, that morning, before he left the place that he had woken up, still with boogers in his eyes, before he's done, he's even gone to brush his teeth. That morning, he's already saying, God in me has changed me. I am now, I'm going to tithe. I'm going to follow God. He's my God. I'm going to worship here. God in us, church, should change the things about us. It should change our actions, our priorities. It should change who we are. So I ask you this morning, what are you waiting for? Tomorrow, I'm going to get serious for God. After we get married, once our kids are in school, once we get them off to college, once we get their college bills paid off, once we get my career going. So my question to you this morning is twofold, church family. Have you found him? If you haven't, like Jacob, make today, make this Bethel. This is the house of God. This is where I find and I, I accept and I follow God. If you haven't found him, make this your Bethel. Your Bethel. You'll see it all through the Old Testament after this called Bethel, a place that represents God's presence and God's working in a life. Make this Bethel. And if you have found him, are you following him? Do you come for an hour and then you live the other 167, or I guess more than an hour, hour and a half, and you live the other 166 and a half like he doesn't exist? Or is God in you changing your activities, your budget, your priorities, your relationships, your, your, your actions? God in us should change us. Jacob's departure from his family and his dream changed everything. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.